Luke 1, and, and if I can draw your attention actually to verse 26, I want to just read a portion of scripture to sort of set the backdrop for uh, what we'll be talking about this morning. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and as we do, would you stand together with me out of reverence for the word of God as we read this portion of scripture. Luke 1 verse 26 says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And Father, we humbly just pause and ask Please help us as we open the word of God this morning. We pray that you would work within each one of our heart, soul, and mind to just make us alert and attentive, Lord, that we would be desirous to hear what you as the living God would want to say to us personally through your inspired word. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us in a personal and powerful in a direct way that we wouldn't hear wise or persuasive words of a man but experience that demonstration of your spirit and your power speaking directly to our hearts lord bless your word may your spirit be our teacher and we ask these things in jesus name and everyone said amen amen you may be seated i'm sure that some of you Maybe all of you could probably finish this statement. It goes like this. The hand that rocks the cradle rules what? The world. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. That actually comes from a poem that was written actually in the 1800s. And it became a a sort of coined phrase out of that poem that infers how the role of motherhood can really be very far-reaching in its influence and in its effect even over the whole world. And such obviously was the case with this particular mother in the text we just read and the child that she delivered. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a few moments. For now, I want to ask you a question on the front side of the study, and that's this. Would you agree that the world that we are now living in uh, is both 
in its morality and in what we would call a healthy and a stable lifestyle continually decreasing. That we see morality decreasing in our culture. That we see healthy, stable lives and lifestyles decreasing in our culture and declining in our culture. And my question is, why is that? Why is that? I think one of the primary reasons is because of the deterioration of the family. So important to remember, marriage and family is a divine institution. In fact, it is the only institution that we have from the other side of the fall of sin before sin ever entered into the world. It's the only institution that was in the Garden of Eden when the paradise of God existed. It's a divine institution and it was designed by and defined by God. God designed and God defined what marriage was to be and how family was to be. And therefore, it's sacred in its purpose and it's critical in its role among humanity. And therefore, when it is ignored in its design and in its purpose, or when it is sometimes maybe even forsaken for other pursuits in life and devalued as not as important as God set it up to be, the result, obviously, is problems. Problems in people's individual lives and decline and deterioration where we see society as a whole then unraveling. And I think we should be concerned about the evidence that we see of the deterioration of family. In today's current generation, the responsibility of fatherhood is being abandoned by many men for various different reasons. And in the same way, I think that the role of motherhood is being devalued in our culture. In many ways, it is being viewed now as secondary rather than primary. And I think that our hearts, honestly, especially as God's people, understanding God created the institution of family, our hearts as God's people should be to uphold to be advocates and those who esteem the importance and design of family. In fact, we see this throughout the word of God, the value, the importance. In fact, Titus chapter 2, there God directly asks the women to specifically and intentionally invest into and influence other women to help prioritize the success of family units. Titus chapter 2, if you read it, you find there that God gives instruction and command to women having first lived well themselves that they should then be, it says, teachers of other women of good things. It says admonishing and training the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to live self-controlled, to be pure and kind. It then goes on to say to be homemakers or one translation says managers of the home. The reason, it says, is that the word of God may not be blasphemed. In other words, so that the design and plan of God would not be mocked and degraded in the world because of unhealthy living and unhealthy families. Now, I want you to take note from that passage. God, out of concern for the family, instructs women, it says, to be involved in two things specifically there. In Titus 2, number one, he's instructing women to learn from the example and counsel 
made available to them of other godly women that they can look up to and hold up as models that they respect of how to do things right. So God says, look, every woman, therefore, should be looking for other women to, whether formally or informally, be their teachers in a sense that can uphold for them, hey, that's the way to do marriage. That's the way to do motherhood and, and taking advantage of godly examples, identifying them and looking to them to learn from them. And in the same way, every woman, I think, too, should also, as it says directly in the text, be seeking to influence and train other women who are in the stages right behind them and are coming up after them to be able to invest into them the things that are valuable and important that God would want them to know. And I want you to notice the focus and the priority that I didn't write, but that God wrote should be the focus of the training, the teaching, the admonishing, the encouraging woman to woman. It was what? We read it. Things like how to have a healthy marriage relationship. It was how to be a successful mother in nurturing and caring and raising their children. It was how to create and manage a healthy home life for a family to dwell in. I really fear that perhaps the message of the world system today and in many ways, the lack of observing Titus 2 has unfortunately led to some really unhealthy perspectives regarding family life and family lifestyles. And on top of that, has now then put undue pressures and unfair and unrealistic expectations upon a whole lot of women. Making them many a times carry burdens that are overwhelming. And I'll tell you, my heart aches for the effects that that has had upon women, upon children, upon families, and even upon the society. And my heart today on Mother's Day is to esteem and uphold the role of motherhood. Now, that being said, it's not my intention, so don't start panicking here, to give you a detailed lesson and teaching on how to be the ideal mother. Quite honestly, I'm a father. That is a much different role by design. And my wife would probably be much more suited to give a lesson like that. By the same token, much of being a good mom, quite honestly, from my perspective and having observed, you know, my own wife over the you know, almost 19 years of parenting with our three daughters, I realized that much of being a, a good mom has a lot to do with just your simple relationship with Jesus Christ. Being a good mom in many ways is not about having read every perfect book on motherhood or got all the five points of this seminar, but, but it's just living in, in good relationship with Jesus. And as you live in direct relationship with Jesus and you let God's word be the lamp for your feet and the light for your path, and as you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're submitted to the Lordship of Christ and you're praying and seeking the Lord, I tell you, you'll figure out a whole lot of the mothering details and you'll be a very fruitful, successful mother by just being in direct relationship with the Lord foremost. And what I do want to do is this. I want to provide sort of a character study on a prominent mother in the Bible. And from doing such, from her life and activities and actions and words, indeed, there will be some lessons, I think, that can be gleaned from motherhood, if you're a fellow mother. But by the same token, the lessons that we're going to point out to you, honestly, are helpful traits and goals for any person 
man, woman, boy, or girl, whether you're a mother or not, I hope that you will see these are lessons and we'll try and help articulate some of that to you that all of us can glean from. So hopefully we can reach and connect with each one of you. I believe the Lord has something for all of us through these things. So what I want to do is look at some spiritual lessons demonstrated and represented by a very prominent mother in the Bible. The one we're reading about right here, Mary, who actually was the mother of Jesus himself and his human life. And we read together here Luke chapter 1 and from Luke 1 verse 26 down through verse 37 and we're going to look at a couple passages so we're not going to be super in depth from a expositional standpoint. Luke chapter 1 verse 26 down to verse 37 basically records for us the account of young Mary betrothed or engaged to a man named Joseph at this point in her life She's a virgin, we're told. She's never been with a man. She's engaged now to Joseph. And she gets this visitation, it says, from an angelic being who speaks to her saying, Rejoice, Mary, highly favored one. There, verse 28, the Lord's with you and, and you're going to be blessed among women. Why? Because of what she was going to experience. What she was going to experience was the dream of every young Jewish girl. She was going to be afforded the blessed privilege of getting to be the birth mother of this promised, prophesied, long-awaited Jewish Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah. The Old Testament scriptures prophesied that God was going to send a Savior. He was going to send a Redeemer. And the dream of every young Jewish girl was maybe I'll be the one who gets to give birth to this deliverer, to this Messiah who God promised that he was going to send. And now Mary is being told and informed here by this angel, don't be afraid, Mary, verse 30, you found favor with God. And the announcement, behold, you're going to conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation. He'll be great called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David very messianic she's pointing the dots together now this is the Messiah the Messiah who'd come through the line of, of David King David verse 33 and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end eternal Mary of course says well how can this be possible I've never been with a man in other words I've never been sexually intimate with a man the, I do understand the birds and the bees. And so this isn't making sense. How is this going to come to pass? How am I going to conceive this son in my womb if I've never been physically intimate with a man yet? She was still just betrothed to Joseph and a virgin. The answer from the angel, verse 35, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The power of the highest is going to overshadow you and the Holy One to be born to you, notice, will be called the Son of God. The very Son of God is going to be miraculously placed and conceived into your womb as a virgin and you will then give birth to him. That's why verse 37 said, for with God, nothing will be impossible. It was going to be a miracle. This young Mary at this point finds out she is going to have the blessed stewardship of being the mother of the long-awaited Messiah and that she had been selected by God to miraculously conceive in her body the very life of the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and she would be entrusted, hear me, with the sacred stewardship of giving birth to the Son of God as he came and lived as a man on this earth. And more than that, she was going to be entrusted with the vital role and responsibility, not just of giving birth to him, 
but she was going to be entrusted with the vital role and responsibility of being Jesus' earthly mother. Doing all those motherly tasks. Nurturing him and nursing him and caring for him and feeding him and bathing him and dressing the little guy in his cute little Jewish outfits, you know, that he was supposed to wear on Mother's Day. Back. I don't know, you know, she, all these little tasks. These were all a part of the privilege that Mary got to participate in as he grew up, fulfilling those tasks, you know, comforting him and in those developmental years, being that listening ear to him, offering those words of encouragement and insight, you know, encouraging him as a young man, being his biggest supporter, his loudest fan, all these things. And as Mary hears that incredible news, look at verse 38, how she responds to this, finding out that she's going to be the mother it says, Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I want you to notice something. In Mary's response to hearing she's going to miraculously become the privileged mother of Jesus, in Mary's response there in her statements of that announcement, I think we learn something about Mary. The first thing, if you're a note taker mentally or by pen or pencil, that, that we observe about Mary, and that is this. Number one is that she desired for her life to be used to serve God's purpose. She desired for her life to be used to serve God's purpose and what? Specifically in relation to motherhood right this is the context here she desired her life to be used to serve god's purpose specifically in relation to being the mother of that child and raising that child as a stewardship from god look at her words there in verse 38 she presents herself in submission to god's will she says let it be or let it happen to me according to god's word or god's will she calls herself a maid servant of the lord now those terms there, let it be to me according to your word, those are terms of surrender, terms of submission. That's Mary saying, I willingly accept and allow you, God, to have your way in my life. She says, calling herself the maidservant of the Lord. Well, a maidservant, that was a title that spoke of the lowest form of a slave who basically did nothing but use their life to fulfill, listen, the wishes and the desire of their master and this is what mary says of herself in relation to this reality of becoming a mother which shows us that mary understood her privilege to receive this child's life as a stewardship from god a genuine stewardship from god she realized god has entrusted this life to me this is a stewardship from God that I have received. And can I say this morning, as a mother, it's good to realize and then try and continually remember throughout the entire parenting process that that's a stewardship from God. That, that there's a, a great responsibility that is given in motherhood. That this is a stewardship. Like, uh, like Hannah in the Old Testament with Samuel who realized this child has been given to me by God and she presented young Samuel back to the Lord and said, Lord, he doesn't belong to me ultimately. He's yours. This is a sacred stewardship. And I need to treat this as a stewardship seriously and, and put everything of my life primarily into this because one day, Lord, like any stewardship, stewards give accounts. 
And so, Lord, my whole process in this motherhood, I, I, I'm responsible and I'm going to give account to you for what I did with this sacred stewardship. And Mary presents that. And Mary here, as I said, realized and viewed her parental role and responsibility, and I think this is beautiful, as a means for using her life to serve God's purpose on the earth. Listen to me, that's beautiful. Because a lot of women who primarily focus on motherhood, maybe above anything else, in many ways in our culture are devalued. They're dismissed. What have you accomplished in life? You have an, and, and many women live under the guilt and the frustration of, I don't accomplish anything. I'm so unsuccessful. Listen, you are fulfilling the purposes of God. If you do nothing but be a fantastic mom, that's fulfilling the purposes of God. Mary, in relation to realizing she was going to raise Jesus, says, Lord, I'm your servant and I will serve your purposes by not just giving birth to this child, but by raising him and being the mother that you have called me to be, to care for him throughout the entire season of his life. She said, I can be the Lord's servant and serve him by how I care for and how I raise this child. To me, this is beautiful. As a mother, you can faithfully use your life, listen, to serve the purposes of God. Oh, well, I'm, not, I'm not involved in this, or I'm not doing that, or I'm not getting recognition for that, or, or I'm, uh, listen, you be a fantastic godly mother and you are fulfilling the divine purposes of Almighty God in a beautiful way, in a wonderful way by raising and nurturing and loving and investing into shaping a child's life. Listen, Samuel became quite a stunning young man. And why? Because he had a mother who realized this is a sacred stewardship and I will serve God by investing into this child and presenting him back to God and saying, God, here's what I can present to you. Here's what, here's what, I, in, here's what I did with my son. And, and quite incredible. She served God by serving and investing into her child's life. God has selected you, if you're a mother this morning, you, uniquely selected you to be the mother of that child or those children for a specific reason, for a set purpose. You are a divine instrument of God. He purposely selected you knowing who that child is that he knit together in your womb and said you would be the most ideal mother for that child. And how wonderful that God orchestrates this to let us fulfill his purposes in so many ways. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.5. He says to Timothy as a young man, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that's in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now is in you also. How did young Timothy, stellar godly young man who impacted the world, become who he became? Because he had a godly grandmother and he had a godly mother. We know nothing of his father. I'm not saying his father wasn't involved or failed, or, but the Bible esteems that he had a godly grandmother and a godly mother. And later it says in the same writings from Paul to Timothy that from infancy he knew the Holy Scriptures. Abraham Lincoln said this. He said, no one is poor who had a godly mother. I think that's awesome. 
You may be a single mother and maybe even struggle under the dress of trying to burn the candle at both ends and, and carrying the weight of the world, probably one of the most exhausting things. And thinking that, you know, the heartbreak, oh, I couldn't do this or I couldn't provide the, the name brand outfits or the, the latest this or that. And, and, I could, and boy, I feel so bad my child or my children had to be subjected to poverty. Listen, Abraham Lincoln said no one is poor who has a godly mother. It's a value system. They're going to be much more wealthy and better off if you give them the wealth of a godly upbringing and you pour Christ in their life than anything you can present and put on the table for them that shines for a while and burns in the end. It's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful way to serve God with your life and submission to God's will in this kind of area or any way for a mother. It requires faith and surrender. I acknowledge that. It requires the faith that would say, Lord, I trust you and I have confidence your plan's better than mine. I trust that investing into this child's life, no matter how it looks to anyone else or feels to anyone else, that is a higher purpose than any other pursuit I could take on in life. It is a much higher purpose. I surrender, Lord, my personal plans so I can serve and fulfill your purpose and plan as a mother. Now, let me just say this. This concept of using your life to serve God's purpose as a mother, that's not just for moms. That's a concept and principle for every one of us in this room this morning. Mary's example here is a great reminder for all of us. We should all use our life to serve God's purposes on this earth. It may be different for every one of us, but the biggest challenge, let's be very frank, is we're a bunch of self-serving pigs, right? I am anyway. That's why I can say that. I'm a human. And one of the most difficult things in life is not using your life to just be self-serving, what you want and when you want it and where you want it and but to say no you know what maybe my life was created for a higher purpose than just serving myself and pleasing myself and entertaining myself and living for myself and fulfilling myself listen the bible says we were created for god's pleasure for god's purposes and you will always to some degree chronically struggle with emptiness and being miserable to your core until you grasp the concept that the purpose of your life, why you have breath in your lungs and you were conceived in your mother's womb, is that you might live in relationship with God and serve His purpose with your life. When you grasp that concept and say, I was created to use my life to serve God's purposes, then you'll begin to discover life. You'll begin to find fulfillment and experience all the wonderful things that God has intended for you. Now, turn with me over just slightly to the right to John chapter 2. Just go to the end of Luke and next book is John, John chapter 2. Another passage and we learn something else here from Mary that I think is helpful for mothers, for all of us. John chapter 2. Always great to hear Bible pages flipping. That's a pastor's favorite sound. You know that? John 2, verse 1. It says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And notice, the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the same wedding. So it was probably maybe a family affair. They knew the family and the community. So Jesus, his disciples at this point, his ministries began, are present. His mother is there, his family. A dilemma happened, verse 3. They ran out of wine and the mother of Jesus said to him, she let him know, 
they have no wine. So, again, in that culture, weddings were celebrated for like an entire week. It was a, it was a whole feast week as they celebrated a wedding ceremony. Uh, and let me just say this, culturally, it was humiliating if you ran out of resources. We may not connect, but, but, but this would be like, again, having a wedding and, you know, Father pays for the wedding and, and, and you know you have so many people there and you got 10 more people in line and the buffet food runs out. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, it's pretty embarrassing. So the issue here, very simply, when they've run out of wine is this, this would be a disgrace, shame on the head of any Jewish host or father in a sense in this kind of situation. So this is a great dilemma here. They've, they've, they've run out of resources. Mary graciously, probably because they knew the family, feels very grieved she knows who Jesus is, so she turns to Jesus and says, just, you know, rather great. Again, he's an adult man at this point, and you know you have to be careful when you talk to your adult sons, Mom, right? You, you want to say it, but you're using diplomacy at this point. Did you know they have no wine? So she brings the issue. Now, Jesus says to her, verse 4, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, don't misinterpret Jesus' statements there. He's not being disrespectful, calling her woman. The term in the, in the Greek there would be a very appropriate cultural way. We, we kind of look at that and it sounds a little harsh. He's not being disrespectful. But the point he's making to her is, why, are you in, why would you involve me in this? My, my hour has not yet come. That is to start doing miracles at this point in time. This becomes his first miracle we know as we read the account. But look at verse 5. His mother said to the servants, focus in here, whatever he, that's Jesus, whatever he says to you, do it. Now let me say something. That's the last recorded words of Mary in the Bible. The last recorded words of Mary in the Bible, they're quite profound. Whatever Jesus says to you, do it. Now, I point that out for this reason. That represents her perspective spiritually. Mary did not want allegiance given to herself. She did not want to be the center of attention or the one venerated or looked to. She clearly knew that should be given to who? Jesus, because he was the son of God. And he was the Lord. I love the specific words of counsel in verse 5. They're underscored for me. Mary's words, look at them again. Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Here's the second thing I want you to notice we learn from Mary. As a mother, or for all of us. But, and that's this. Mary was a woman who advised people to listen to and to follow whatever Jesus said. Mary was a woman who advised people to listen to and to follow whatever Jesus said. Listen, as a mom, that is probably the single most important life lesson that you can impart to and then continually reinforce in your child's life. The most important life lesson you can impart to a kid that you've been entrusted with is this to listen to Jesus and to obey and follow what Jesus says. That by the model of your life personally and what you teach them as your son or daughter, that you would model for them and teach for them how to listen to Jesus. How to hear Jesus' voice. And then not just hear his voice, but how to do the harder thing afterwards to obey Jesus. 
to obey what Jesus says. Listen, from when they're the earliest age to teach them how to learn how to listen to the voice of the Lord when they make a mistake. Hey, well, can I ask you, what, what, what's the Lord saying to you about the way you just behaved? Oh, come on, they're only six years old. So? God speaks to six-year-olds. What would the Lord... You have to go say sorry to your brother or sister. Well, you can demand them to do that, but maybe you could offer the opportunity and talk it through with them and they may say, thank the Lord, want me say sorry. <laughs> it can happen. It does happen. Same thing when they're 14 and 16 and they're trying to process and learn how to make decisions. Hey, well, look... And that transition's happening where it goes from authority and control to then you just becoming later in life their counselor when they're an adult. And they're in that kind of in-between phase and you're trying to help them process. Look, I'm praying for you, and, but well, what, what's the Lord saying to you? Why don't you pray about that for a few days and, and think about what do you think is going to be the outcome of that? And, and let's talk about what the Lord's saying to you and, and, and let them feel the pressure and the onus on themselves of hearing from God and making a decision for themselves and, and learning this valuable life lesson of hearing what Jesus says and doing what Jesus says because they're going to face circumstances, challenges, and they're going to look for solutions. And the best lesson you can impart to them is to learn how to listen to the voice of Jesus and then obey and do what Jesus says. That's the best lesson you can impart to them. And again, this morning, by way of all of us universally, Truth be told, Mary's words there, that's great counsel for all of us to live by. Perhaps you're here this morning right now and you're facing a situation. Maybe your resources have run out. Oh my goodness, my resources are running out. Or they haven't. What do I do? Here's a great idea. Whatever Jesus says, do it. Oh, I'm facing this situation. I don't, I'm a challenge. I need a solution here. What, what should I do? Here's a great suggestion. Mary's got good counsel. Whatever he says, Jesus, do that. Don't do maybe what you think is right or maybe do what everybody else does or what everybody else is telling you you should do because that's what everybody does in that situation. No. What's Jesus' solution to the problem? What's Jesus' counsel and guidance? That's great counsel for all of us to live by. And let me say this, that is the best counsel that we should give to other people when they come to us looking maybe for some advice or guidance. People come to me, they come to you and they share their situation. We compassionately listen and, and we want to give them counsel. Look, a, a big part or maybe the primary focus of our counsel maybe ultimately should be, look, what's the Lord saying to you? Whatever he says to you, I, that's what I think you should do. I can give you some general observations or share some scriptures, but at the end of the day, my most important key to counsel should be whatever Jesus is saying to you, do that. Whatever he says, do it. That's safe. That's good counsel. So Mary gives us another great lesson here. Turn now further in John to John 19. Same book, just turn to your right a little bit. John 19, verse 25. John 19 is recording for us the scene of the crucifixion of Jesus. So now we're at the latter days of Jesus' life. His ministry is over. He's actually hanging on the cross at this point in time, suffering and dying for the sins of the world. John 19, verse 25, look what it tells us. 
Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. So our backdrop, Jesus is on the cross. Hear this. He's enduring the most difficult hour of his life. He is going through one of the hardest possible times he ever could. Secondly, let me say this, because it's also true. This is also the most important day of Jesus's life. This is Mary's son's greatest accomplishment on earth. Not only is this the hardest day of his life at one point, it is also the most important day her son had. This is everything of what a proud mother, this is his most important day. And here's the thing, where's Mary? She's there. She's right there with her son. She's with him and experiencing it with him. Thirdly, I want to point out this from what we see here. This mother understood the greatest display of love for her son was presence. The greatest display of love for her son was presence. Let me clarify. Not presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, that we buy and spend money on and wrap because we can afford. But presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, meaning I'm there. I'm available to you. I'm with you. I'm around. Being there with Jesus, being around, she was directly involved. Look, as a mother, please hear my heart. And I don't say this to be condescending towards anyone. I say this because I believe it's the heart of God in many ways. And I know it's a struggle in our culture today. As a mother, your presence is the greatest and most valuable thing that you can give to your child. Your presence to just be there as much as possible for them and a part of every aspect of their life. And look, you can't always plan and predict when your child's hardest hour is going to be to make sure that you're there with them. You can't always perfectly predict what their most important occasion is where they're going to say, I'm so glad that you were there, Mom. I'm so glad that you were there. You can't always predict that. So the more that you can make your presence available to them, the better the opportunity that you can convey that love by just your presence with them. And don't ever let the other presence that, well, we have to have this type of a lifestyle or provide this. Or Look, I know it's challenging. And I want to say to the men in this room, particularly to the fathers in this room, listen, you work hard to be the best provider you can to give that mother a chance to be with those kids. And I know it's hard. I understand it's difficult. But I want to say this from a place of testimony, not in a condescending way. Enabling a mother to be at home with her children in seasons of a life when, when that is so precious and valuable, and I think every mother craves that in a sense in her heart anyway, that is not just something for the rich and the wealthy. Please do not buy into the lie that makes so many people think, well, that's only possible in today's culture in America that's only possible for for the rich people and oh yeah well of course I mean that guy's corporate America he's rich of course he can let his wife stay at home listen I was not corporate America 
I don't have a college education. And, and it was difficult and it was hard, but I tell you, it's possible. It may mean having to make certain sacrifices as a couple, live a little differently, change a lifestyle, work extra hard, take a second job. Listen, but, but I just say, don't let the world system rob you of what could be a precious, beautiful thing that you may want to experience with your kids. Don't devalue the role of motherhood. Now, I don't say that to be condescending. It's not saying it's sinful for a mother to work. And I realize there are times when a mom does need to work. I, I understand this. I'm not criticizing that. And I please hope that I'm not making anyone feel condemned by saying that in this room this morning. But, but I just want to esteem the reality to help you to understand, look, the most valuable thing that you can give to your child is your presence, to be there with them. Such a valuable, precious thing. And in many ways, our culture is wanting to push it aside. And I think it's the heart of God still. I think it's the heart of God to be able to offer that. Now, take notice where Mary is as well, at the cross. And in that day, when you were crucified, a person would sit their feet about three to four feet off the ground. So here she is, and it says that Mary is standing by the cross of Jesus' mother, which means this, that Mary's life was positioned at the foot of the cross, you could say, because she's right there at the foot of the cross of Jesus. Now, I think that's precious and important, and hopefully it comes in connection to what we just talked about, and that is this. That is so wise because that's where all mothers really need to position their lives, at the foot of the cross. And there are lots of reasons for that. First of all, because no mother's ever going to be perfect. No, no parent is perfect. We all fail. We all make mistakes. And then we struggle with the parental guilt of when we make mistakes. And I think mothers struggle with guilt probably even more than fathers because they're a lot more tender and compassionate and nurturing and caring. And they've carried that child. And it's, it's understandable. And there are going to be times where as a mom, you're going to make mistakes along the way. And God doesn't want you to feel guilty and condemned and be overwhelmed with the burdens of guilt for motherhood or what you did do or didn't do. And don't let people heap guilt on you by things that they say. But this is why it's important, I think, that a mother position herself at the foot of the cross. Because when you make mistakes and you struggle with guilt, if you keep your life at the foot of the cross... You can receive the forgiveness of Jesus and the grace of God that allows you to just be encouraged and continue to walk forward as needed. I think another reason that's important for a mother to be at the foot of the cross is because perhaps as a mother here this morning in this room, maybe as a mother this morning, you've lost a child through miscarriage or through an abortion or maybe the untimely death of a son or a daughter, which is a grievous, painful thing to have a child die before you. And that's why a mother needs to be at the foot of the cross because as you remain at the foot of the cross, Jesus can extend to you the healing that you need for that painful loss of a child. And, and, and the encouragement and the help to process as you cope with that. Maybe you are a mother this morning. Another reason this is critical because maybe you're a mother this morning and sometimes part of parenting, especially for moms, I think they carry this more heavily, maybe you have a child who greatly has hurt you or offended you or done some things that has caused through their actions and choices incredible grief to your heart. Maybe dishonor or pain or letdown or heartache. And a mother carries that heartache in her heart when a, a, a child does things that just destroy her heart. 
But if you're at the foot of the cross, the Lord will give you grace to cope with that and to trust him with your child's life and he can extend to you the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness you need as a mom to not get bitter, but to continue to keep loving them as they wrestle through those years and let them work those things out and to be able to let go of the hurtful things maybe that have happened. And perhaps you're here this morning as well And let me say this, maybe you've had a less than ideal mother. Maybe you had a mother who really made some pretty tragic mistakes or did some painful things that caused a lot of hurt and letdown. If that's the case for you, the best place to be is at the foot of the cross. So as a result of that mother's mistakes, maybe it's left you wounded and angry and disappointed as a son or a daughter, but if you're at the foot of the cross, you can deal with such properly. And you can receive the healing of the Lord and the help of the Lord to extend forgiveness and healing maybe to that mother even who's made some mistakes in her life as your parent. But can I say this? Better place to be than anywhere else for all of us is at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. A place of submission, surrender, where my life is submitted to him, when my eyes are focused upon him. That is the best place for any one of us to be at the foot of the cross. You know, verse 26 and 27 are beautiful verses, and time's not going to allow to touch upon it, but I just want to say this, where it also shows Jesus demonstrating how to honor his mother, because he makes arrangements for his mother. He realizes that being a good adult son is not just about sending her a Hallmark card on Mother's Day, but he makes arrangements in his adult years as an adult son to say, I need to make sure my mother is taken care of. And he entrusts John with the stewardship of his mom because he knew that he was going to die early. And I think it's a beautiful paradigm, a picture of what it means to honor one's mother, to make sure she received what she needed. One final passage, turn to Acts chapter 1 as we conclude. Acts 1. Just slightly to the right, probably going to be a few pages, the very next book after John, Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1 here, we find them in the upper room, Acts 1 verse 13. It says they entered the upper room where they were staying and it lists all the disciples that were there, Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and so forth. Look at verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. Here's the last time in the Bible Mary shows up. Where's she at? At a prayer meeting. She's at a prayer meeting. And I want you to notice, she's not being venerated or prayed to. She's there praying just like every other follower of Jesus. She's praying to the Lord. People aren't praying to her. She's there praying to the Lord. Here's one final thing we see about Mary as a special mother. Mary was a woman of prayer. She was a woman of prayer. Great example for motherhood. Understand the value and the power of seeking God and asking for his involvement. The most powerful and effective aspect, I think, of a mother's ministry, the most powerful aspect of a mother's ministry is her prayer life. Is her prayer life. Praying and seeking God for the grace and the help you need to do probably one of the hardest jobs in the world and saying, God, give me grace, give me help, give me stamina to balance and juggle all these things. Lord, give me wisdom how to handle this and, and, and to be able to pray and intercede that God would work in the life of your child. 
in those early years, Lord, get a hold of their heart and work in their heart and please, Lord, make them sleep. <laughs> but even when they become adults and you think, oh, my role now or I should have done this better when they were younger, listen, well, you can be a powerful mommy still. You storm the throne of God by praying and interceding for them and you can have huge influence over your child's life. You can bring a prodigal son back to Jesus. You can pray that God will do every he has to do to help them, to deliver them, to make them become the young man, the young woman that God wants them to be. It's a precious and beautiful and powerful ministry. And it's, again, a ministry to be a woman of prayer is not just for mothers. It's a, it's a ministry for all of us to understand the value of prayer. The value of prayer. Mary teaches us that. Look, let me say this in conclusion. 30 more seconds of your time. Though the world's message may be devaluing the role and the importance of mothers, let's remember that in one sense, that was the vehicle that God chose really to be the delivery service to bring about salvation to mankind. Galatians 4.4 4 says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. The delivery service God used to bring salvation into this world. God could have brought salvation however he wanted to, would you agree? But God chose that role, and interesting, the faithful role of that mother became the delivery service to provide Jesus, and Jesus provides salvation to all mankind. Amen?